Welcome to Culture Score. I'm BT. And I'm Marcus. Last time on this show, Marcus said we're going to have some very special surprises for our guests and our listeners. And this is true for the next three episodes. So do not miss any single episode. It's going to be epic. Starting today, we promise you special guests. And today we have the one and only Mr. Jonathan Landrum from the Associated Press. What's up, Jonathan? Hey, what's going on? How's it going, fellas? Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. What's good? All right, man. We're excited to have you. <laughs> excited to dive into this. You know, thanks for coming. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. So on this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, we review film and TV shows at the intersection of Black culture and popular culture. We are the heart of culture and the entertainment industry. And today we're covering Snowfall. Snowfall is an FX. was produced by FX. Creators Eric Amadio, John Singleton, and Dave Andron. Multiple directors and writers. This is a TV show that spans four seasons. And the leads, I'm just going to give a couple or maybe three who have been in more than 40 episodes. So Jamson Idris, Teddy McDonald, and Leon Simmons. But they have a lot of uh, actors and actresses that have been on there. Um, so before we get into the synopsis today, um, like I said, we have a very special guest from Associated Press. I'm going to give you a bio just so you know that this brother packs some weight. I'm talking serious weight. Right? <laughs> Bringing no that kidding, heat. man. Word. No kidding. Like the man can't walk. Is that man. right? Wait. <laughs> he just gets driven around in a big old car because he's packing. <laughs> I wish, I wish. <laughs> At least you wish it is coming. Right, right, I mean, no right. jokes. I mean, jokes aside, people, Jonathan Landrum Jr. is an entertainment writer for the Associated Press. He's based in LA. Um, AP, Associated Press, has a daily reach of over a billion people. Would it be? The man has interviewed A-list celebrities ranging from Oprah Winfrey, Robert Downey Jr., Taylor Swift, Denzel Washington, Tyler Perry, Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio. Marcus, drink some water. I know this is going to stress you out. (laughs) (laughs) I know you love you some Leonardo DiCaprio. The man is deeply connected, and his beats include coverage of the Bobby Christina Brown saga and rapper T.I.'s arrest on federal machine gun charges. He has broken news and scored many scoops on the entertainment beat as the go-to for the AP with a vast number of key sources. He wrote on the death of Nipsey Hussle, which, as you guys know, is huge. I mean, Google the man, Jonathan Landrum Jr. Google him and see his stories that he's written. He broke the news about Usher filing for divorce. Other exclusives throughout his career, including Forrest Whitaker's view on being snubbed by the Oscars for his role in The Butler, Stevie Wonder not being happy with Lil Wayne's vulgar lyrics that reference Emmett Till, and T.I. being mentored by civil rights icon Andrew Young in the aftermath of the rapper's arrest on the aforementioned federal machine gun charges. In his 15-plus years, Mr. Landrum Jonathan work has appeared in over 1,500 one five zero zero different news outlets, including the New York Times, Yahoo News, People, MTV, Billboard, ABC News, and ESPN. Damn. 
Whoa, whoa. <laughs> That's a summary, people. That is a summary. Like, I had to take out. <laughs> I, I, I started to fall asleep, by the way. <laughs> and then I'm you like, said, you fall Google, asleep. Google, brother. I'm I've gotten to the here. level of being Google now. <laughs> Dude, you can fall asleep, man. You have worked. <laughs> <laughs> you can rest. <laughs> I mean, the dude's impressive. And, you know, on top of Thanks. the other things that we've talked about, and something we're going to get into later before Marcus gets into the synopsis of what Snowfall the show is, is that the very few black journalists in the entertainment industry in the position that he's in. And if you know anything about being the only one in the room, which we talk about a fair bit on this show, it's, it's a tough balance that you always have to do. And it comes with some weight and it comes with some responsibility, not only for your job, but for the culture and for the people and to be, uh, you know, a, 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 a trailblazer for the people that are coming up behind you. Right. And so amongst other things, we called Jonathan and we're talking about this show and, you know, so graceful to say he wanted to come on. We say, hey, brother, like, you know, we do TV shows and films. He listens to the podcast, as everybody should. But he said, I think a show that I want to touch on. Um, one of my favorite shows is Snowfall, right? So with, with that said, synopsis, Marcus. I've talked a lot. Marcus. So for everybody who doesn't know Snowfall, um, Snowfall is made, created by John Singleton. Um, rest in peace to him. Uh, he passed away a, a couple years ago. And, and for anybody living on a rock who don't know John Singleton, he's the one who brought us Boys in the Hood. And one of my personal favorite video, music videos of all time, Michael Jackson's Remember the Time. That's one of the most awesome music videos ever to me. Um, Snowfall is a gritty, uh, reality-based, one-hour drama on FX that really shows the emphasis of like the crack cocaine pandemic um, and the, the impact that it has on South Central Compton, Los Angeles. Um, you kind of see the story of Franklin Saint who is kind of like this young up and coming entrepreneur who kind of gets into the drug game and just kind of starts taking it from, you know, on the streets to trying to basically uh, make it like a corporation and how he runs this, this uh, drug business. So it's like the emphasis of like crack cocaine in South Central LA. It is fast paced. It is extraordinarily well written, extraordinarily well acted. Um, it feels like a movie. Um, and that's kind of a cool thing when you can watch a show and each episode feels like you're in a cinema. Um, so I cannot wait for us to talk about it. Uh, I cannot wait to talk to the man, the myth, and the legend. So let's just dive right into it. Let's trifecta. don't waste no that trifecta. Let's just get into it. I don't even know if I want to go any further than not than starting off with that Denzel story. I don't know if we should go anywhere else. You know what? So, don't, <laughs> don't, don't. Just, just get into it. Let's not miss this opportunity. I can say it until an hour later. It doesn't matter. It's a good one, though. It's a pretty good one. <laughs> just get with it, man. Let's hear it. Hey, the floor is it? yours. All right, cool. Just real quick. I won't take up too much time with this. So this is, it, it is it's two separate stories, but it's all kind of bottled into one. So um, first of all, I, I went to Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta, Georgia, and I played football at Clark Atlanta, right? So after I graduated, a couple, few years after I graduated and, you know, I started my, my, uh, my career at the AP, um, I went to a homecoming game between um, Clark Atlanta and Morehouse College. And I was on the sideline, the same sideline as Morehouse. Now, 
at the time, I'm not sure if you fellas, if you guys know, Denzel's son, John David Washington, was the running back for Morehouse, right? And so, and so me and my buddy Cecil, we're on Morehouse's side sideline and we're talking tons of crap because we're rooting for Clark Atlanta and, and all that stuff. And, you know, this is, this is kind of like a star-studded, like, college football game. We saw, like, Ruben Stutter walking by and, and uh, oh, my goodness. Um, oh, I cannot think of her name. She's going to hit me. If, if I, anyway, it was, it was very star-studded. So I'm talking tons of crap. Uh, Morehouse they ended up catching a punt return, right? And they fumbled it, and Clark Atlanta recovered. So I'm cheering like crazy and just going ridiculously nuts on, the, on Morehouse's sideline. All of a sudden, um, I'm like, okay, great. Clark is about to win this game, whoopie, whoopie, whoop. Then all of a sudden, the next play, Clark Atlanta fumbles the football, and Morehouse gets the ball back. So then all of a sudden, I feel a hand touch my shoulder, my left shoulder. <laughs> and I turn around, who the hell touched my shoulder? And I look back, and it's Denzel Washington. I said, oh. I said, Denzel. He's like, son, what did you say? <laughs> he was like, he was like, he's like, oh, you ain't cheering now, huh? And I said, <laughs> I said, sorry, Denzel. So Right. So that that happened. So fast forward to about, uh, about a couple years ago, I had a sit down interview with John David Washington uh, for a uh, a package that we put together each year is called the Breakthrough Breakthrough Entertainers. And he was one of them. John David Washington was one of them. And um, and I told John David that story and he got he got a really great great kick out of it because he had no clue because he was on the football field when all this stuff happened. And so when I told John David Washington, I said, I said, man, you know, we're, you know, we're rivals. You, you know that, right? And he was puzzled. Like, what do you mean we're rivals? I said, man, you went to Morehouse, man. I went to Clark Atlanta because we're both rivals. And so he says, oh, yeah, we're really not supposed to like each other. <laughs> and, so, and so I told I told him the story, the story about his dad. And we laughed for like a few minutes and then we talked about, you know, HBCU life and about the AUC, the Atlanta University Center life. And it was just, you know, it was just a moment. Uh, so that's my Denzel slash John David Washington story. I love it. I love every <laughs> minute of it. And I'm going to tell you right now, because Ben has to listen to this all the time. Uh -huh. I know he was already chipper when uh, he heard you say HBCU. I've been waiting for that to you come. You knew it was coming. I, I knew it was coming. <laughs> I went to the HU, Hampton University. Ah, and, nice. And my brother-in-law is going to be so excited to hear this episode because he is a graduate of Clark. So I'm sure he's going to be stoked because we always have a little HBCU rivalry in my family because we all graduated from them. So, yeah, uh -huh. you, 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 are, you are at home on this show, so you are welcome awesome. anytime. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm still waiting for my Support Black Colleges hoodie. Right, <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. I'm, I'm trying coming. to get him to homecoming. I'm trying to let him see what it's like to go to a homecoming at HBCU because it's totally different. Totally, they different. can come to my home. He's missing out. I'm he welcoming. 
<laughs> you know? It's an experience, man. It's an experience. I know. I know. No, I'm looking forward to it. I, I need to dabble deep my, you know, my feet into that. Those waters. Check it out. Get the experience of football games, the whole nine. So looking forward to it. Yeah. So, all right. So we're going to get into a little bit about the show. No and fall. Wh- and while we get into the show, you know, we always say we're like the intersection of pop culture and, and, and black culture. This episode is going to be the intersection between this wonderful show, Snowfall, and this life and career of Mr. Jonathan Landrum. So this is going to be really fun for us. I hope you all can feel the electricity coming through this podcast because we're super stoked about it. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, Ben, you want to start us off or you want me to start us off? Now you can get going, man. You're the man. Like, this too... Um... HBCU people, who am I? I'm going to sit over here quiet <laughs> and listen. Drink right, my water. Right. See, this, just notice, Jonathan, this is a setup. When he plays that little humble uh, Cameroonian who used to chase lions and tigers with his bare hands, just know you're getting set up. When he starts oh, giving you that, it's a setup. So just prepare yourself. Oh, yeah. yeah man. Don't, don't, don't kill my reputation, man. Uh-uh. I've been building my brand of humility for a long time. Nah, I try to nah. step on my stuff. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. You pull the tail, you get the fangs. I'm going to let it come out. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So here we go. So, like, this is one of the things that I was really curious when I found out that you were coming on a show. Um, this was really interesting to me. But when when you do a show like, you know, when a show like, uh, snowfall comes out and it's so wrapped up into black culture. Like, I'm just curious, like as a black journalist, do you approach it differently? You know, and, and, and I guess it's a two part question. You clearly have uh, got an opportunity to interview John, uh, John Singleton, excuse me, who was the first uh, black director who was nominated for an Academy Award for Boys in the Hood. I'm just kind of curious two two parter. Do you approach the project differently when you're interviewing uh, about a show or a movie that's so um, caught up in black culture? And I'm also curious that when you spoke with John Singleton, was there anything that that you found out in that interview that surprised you or anything? Was there any like juicy nuggets that you know came away from it that wouldn't motivate him or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Those, those are great questions. Um, well, first, the, I'm gonna tell you what was interesting. What kind of brought me to uh, me actually doing a story on Snowfall. I wrote um, a feature on it back in 2017. What's interesting is I wasn't even expecting to write anything about the show at all. Um, I was invited by one of my friends who, who, who's a publicist and in Atlanta, uh, and she asked me to come out and check out Snowfall. I had no idea about the show I, I I think I read like a brief kind of synopsis about it, but didn't really, you know, take a really deep dive into it. Um, but I but but my friend is a is a is a really good publicist. And, you know, I trust, um, you know, I, I trust her word. And, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, really great films and TV shows. So I went and checked it out. Um, they show the first two episodes during the screening. And by the end of the by the end of the second episode, I said, this show is going to be amazing. This show is going to be great. And I remember after, um, after the screening, well, John Singleton, he was there at the screening and he spoke and so forth. Um, but right after the screening, I ran to my publicist friend and, uh, and I went to her and I said, 
I, I want to do a story on this, like, before this show comes out. And the show was coming out maybe three days after the screening. So it would have it would have been a really quick turnaround. Um, and she said, great, let's do it. She said, let me introduce you to John Singleton and see if we could put some something together by like tomorrow. So I went and I spoke to John Singleton just real briefly. Um, and I told him, I said, man, I love the show. I think it's going to be great. I love to do a story on it. And he was like, cool, let's do it. So the next day, um, I connected with John Singleton. Uh, what, what, what was interesting about him, first, first of all, rest in peace, John Singleton. He's a, he's, you know, he's, yeah, he's one of our greats. Um, you know, just, just his ability to capture kind of like the plight of what goes on in, in, you know, in the black neighborhoods, in urban neighborhoods is, it's just so legendary. And, you know, you know, like you said earlier, he's, you know, Marcus, he, you know, he's, he's done like poetic justice. He's done like, you know, boys in the hood and those stories, they capture a certain essence of, of, of the black plight. And he was able to do that with snowfall. And I know he just has that ability just to capture all that. What was interesting though, about one thing that, that I learned, you know, from, from my interview with, with John Singleton, um, you know, Snowfall, I asked him if he had pitched a show um, to, you know, to any other networks. And mm. he told me that he did. He said that that Showtime, he said the, the, the show was actually pitched to Showtime. And he said, wow. he said he said that it took some years, you know, for, you know, for, you know, for people to actually like really pick it up. And so he said that Showtime was originally supposed to air the series, but the network parted ways with them because he said they quote they just didn't get it they didn't get snowfall and so wow yeah and so what he said what was interesting was he said that before empire had became a hit he said it was a strong urban based show right he said he said showtime just didn't get snowfall but then when empire hit you know fx finally picked up snowfall and then he said he 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 thought that showtime was was going to do another show that was going to be somewhat similar to Snowfall, which was ended up being the shy. <laughs> wow. So, so, so Showtime, wow. so Showtime for what, from what, you know, John Singleton said, had told me back then, basically Showtime passed up on Snowfall, it, but ended up with the shy. Now, I mean, look, you know, I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm not here to be on the competitive tip or anything like that. <laughs> But I know people really love Snowfall and it's a major hit. It's been, you know, one of the, you know, best shows on FX or one of the best shows on FX. And so for him, you know, he got a he he got a real kick out of, you know, how, you know, how other, you know, networks, including, you know, Showtime, decided not to um pick up the show and and now it's you know, it's still flourishing. Man, that's so crazy. Isn't it like, isn't it Hollywood for you? Like, it's such a monkey see, monkey do kind of thing. It's like, okay, there, there's, there's another urban, quote unquote, black show doing well. So let's now we want to give it. you a shot. Yeah, like yeah. now let's do it. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, I actually would say that I think the show is a better fit for FX. Because I think FX is kind of known for being kind of like, I don't want to call it an HBO light. But it's kind of like, it's as high drama as you can get on 
like without having to pay for a premium cable channel because they they're the ones who did damages and the shield and you know it's they've always done Sons these really of anarchy gritty, like really edgy yeah, shows right yeah that's gritty and it's like it, it always felt like fx are the kind of shows it seems like it could be a hbo show and it's like and i feel like a lot of times they're just as good so that's amazing man just some of these little uh, I can't even imagine like walking in and getting all these juicy tidbits that you get all the time. If you ever play golf, man, just let me know. I'll be your caddy. I'll be right. your caddy. <laughs> just, I will go get, I'll get the beers. The beers are on me. Just tell so me he, what you need. He's over there playing golf with Leonardo DiCaprio and Denzel and you want a caddy. Like, do you, you know how hard it is, The how long the line is to caddy for him? Hey, I got hey, I got VIP now. We 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 brothers now. So we I got some VIP now. status. <laughs> HBCU Yo, brother. brothers. <laughs> oh, this yes, is what we're it. doing now. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is hey, how it is. Hey, hey right, you don't even have to be in a fraternity. Man, I'm your uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Little punk. <laughs> this, this, might, this, this, might, this might be a running theme for the rest of the show. <laughs> I don't know. I'm the uncle. Y'all go do that little boy stuff and come back to the man. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Hey, I love all this. All this HBCU love up in the house. Uh-huh. I love it. Oh, man. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Those are great stories, man. I can't even imagine that, like, what it's like. And the sad thing is that I'll, I'll say this and then, Ben, uh, ben I'm going to throw it over to you. The crazy thing is, if I'm, if I'm a, a network exec, and John Singleton comes up to me with anything, with this man's credentials and his record, man, I'm riding with it. And you hear these stories all the time of other people who have done far less, and they just basically say, hey, we're going to give you the money to do a show, and we're going to give you two years, and they haven't even seen it. But yet you get somebody like John Singleton who has done, as you said, Poetic Justice, Boys and Hell, like all these big groundbreaking films. And I even go as far to say, one of the greatest injustices in the Academy Award history to me is that Boys in the Hood didn't win. It, like, right. ever. I mean, that's Man. up there with, with Denzel and Malcolm X to me. I mean, it's, yep. that is up there to me. That's like one of the biggest travesties ever. So it's just yep. sad that even at his level, he still was having to constantly, you know, prove himself time and time again. And you just don't see that happening with the Spielbergs, the Scorseses, or anything like that. So that's kind of sad that that's what he had to deal with. But hey, it worked out and people are still enjoying his work. So. Yeah, but I mean, Marcus, just to touch on that a little bit, before we go into going to a different direction, I think it's reflective of what we've been talking about, especially the conversation around HFPA, right? When he did Boys in the Hood, wasn't that like his first joint that he did? Yeah. Right. So he didn't have the uncles in the industry, right? He didn't have... He wasn't Nepotism. part of the power structure, right? He wasn't part of the power structure, you know, however you want to call it. He wasn't part of the power structure. And this is such an industry that has a very high concentration of power that if you don't find your way to get into the ears of, you know, one of the 10 power people or like a big PR agency, it's so hard for you to win anything, right? So who was going to vouch for him coming out of school and creating a movie that, you know, was groundbreaking in many ways and, you know, should have won, like who was going to vouch for him. But I mean, different conversation for a different day, but I think that's just reflective of what is said about the industry. Obviously I don't, I haven't written or produced or directed a movie that deserves that. Cause I may be kanye up in that thing. Like, yo, <laughs> <laughs> that's my award. Even if you don't give it to me, I'm taking it home tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, but Jay, so question. Mm-hmm. When you get ready to interview somebody like Singleton, right, or any other celebrity, do you have a process that you go through? Yes. Um, I think one of the one of the things that I try to do for, you know, every story that I write, um, it's all about trying to tell a story that hasn't been told before or trying to move a story forward. Um, that's always been a knack, you know, for myself. One, and I, I, of course, I want to, you know, stay with, stay with Snowfall, but one, one, one particular uh, story that I did um, here recently, uh, well, about a few months ago, I guess, uh, was after the death of Chadwick Boseman. Um, and, you know, as we all know, 2020 was, you know, just a kick in the butt for everybody. So, you know, for, 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 for me, you know, everybody was reporting on Chadwick Boseman, his death and everybody for, for the most part, most media outlets, they had, um, an obit, an obituary out on him. So I decided, you know, I said, look, well, there needs to be a story out there about how his death, Chadwick Boseman's death has kind of left like a saddening mark on 2020, you know, after the deaths of, of John Lewis, Kobe Bryant, um, it's just so many black iconic, um, you know, people. And so now Chadwick is gone. And so, um, I ended up writing a story about, about how his death that left a saddening mark and was able to, uh, collaborate with one of our sports writers in Florida, who was able to get some really great bites from from LeBron James, uh, from Giannis, uh, from the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, along with Chris Paul, um, and I was able to get um, you know Reverend Al Sharpton, um, along with along with Martin Luther King III, and it was it was a story just basically. Um, you know, just saying just that, how his death had just had so much of an impact on just the world. And it was just kind of like, damn, now, now Chadwick's gone after so many other people have, 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 have passed away. So 2020, you suck. <laughs> like really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so it's just telling stories like that, even with, even with with the story with Snowfall, um, you know that I think I think the most interesting thing with with that story was, you know, I really wanted to know from, you know, John Singleton why he wanted to do this show and what compelled him to, um, you know, put together you know this type of project, and so I remember him telling me that he he told oh, I want to hear this one. Oh, you want to hear this? <laughs> I want to hear this. <laughs> you know, it's it's some of these things. I don't want to interrupt you here, but it's no, some no, of these ahead. things that an interview like that is something that nobody can ever take from your body of work. Like he's dead. Right. You know, he's gone. Mm-hmm. Whatever it, the, the interactions that you had and being in his presence and actually feeling like, you know, the unspoken things that will come across from just talking about this project. These are things that I just stamped you know, they're just time stamped and put on the wall forever, right? So I, mm-hmm. I'm salivating to hear this one. 
I'm gonna, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm gonna come take that frame and put it on my wall. I can change my name too. <laughs> change my name too. <laughs> Jonathan Landrum Jr. the second. Right, do the second, the second, not the second though. <laughs> not the second. Oh though. my goodness, the uncle. <laughs> right, right, Landrum Jr. the uncle. <laughs> Who, who's the second, unk? Oh my god! Oh my god! Somebody come and get him. Somebody been drinking tonight. That's hilarious. That is drinking hilarious. that good green tea with ginseng and honey. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, that, that, that sounds like an uncle drink. That sounds like a good right. uncle drink right there. Ginseng oh, drink. That's hilarious, man. Uh, but no, it's you know he 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 you know his his perspective on why he wanted to do um, Snowfall. And one of the things that 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 kind of, you know, brought him to the point of putting together this, you know, tremendously great project. He told me that he remember, you know, riding through like a section of, you know, South LA and he's, you know, seeing like all these different security bars and over windows, over every window and having these huge metal gates surrounding each home. And it, he told me that, like, you know, it reminded him that it instantly remind, reminded him of, you know, when, you know, when he grew up, you know, in that area, you know, when when they first took, you know, caution, caution measures to, you know, to guard their house to prevent home invasions during the 1980s crack cocaine uh, epidemic. And, you know, that was I think that was pretty tremendous because anyone who's ever been to LA um and you've been to South LA or South Central or Inglewood or anywhere in those parts um or just LA just in general <laughs> and you see those bars on people's windows it was it was it was initiated by you know by by the by the by the crack epidemic and wow. you know you had a lot of you had a you had a lot of people who were on drugs, people breaking into people's homes, and so people had to really guard their homes. And you know, I remember him telling me that you know it it kind of made people feel like that they were like in prison in their own homes. And you know, and you know, he said that crack really took hold took took hold back then, and it was just this story that he really wanted to take a deep dive into and he really wanted to tell because there were a lot of, there were several other uh, stories on the East coast, East coast based stories about, you know, the crack epidemic. Um, but there really wasn't anything out there from the West coast in LA, which hit it pretty hard. I mean, it's been a ripple effect. I mean, you can still see it to this day with, with all the homelessness and Skid Row and it's still, I mean, even what we're in 20, 2021 in, you know, this is, this is 30, 40 years ago that all this stuff happened. And it's still, you can still see the remnant remnants of it today in this same city, um, in a city where you can probably, where there's probably the most wealthiest and probably the most poorest. And so yeah. it's, you know, it's a, it's a pretty interesting um, dynamic. Um, and, and that, and that's what really drew me to the show. Um, because the story of how the rise of crack, <laughs> um, and how yeah. it just took hold of, 
this really heavily populated city and and not just the city but it took it took hold of you know these black neighborhoods these heavily populated black neighborhoods and and hispanic neighborhoods as well so yeah john singleton was on it with this one man that's so deep i mean his that work is, like <clears throat> that's amazing oh go ahead ben you want to you don't jump no in? i was saying i was just agreeing with what you said absolutely deep stuff and it's uh, for you know, we always think that like all black people live in these big urban areas, but I grew up in a very, very, very rural area. My town had like 1,200 people. So it's through his art that I really got to see what was going on in the world, you know, because I didn't have those kind of experiences where I'm from. I mean, there's no gangs in the backwoods of South Carolina. So I didn't see that, you know. Um, and so it just brought a lot of, it was just so react, so real to me. Um, I remember seeing, you know, Boys in the Hood in the theaters. And I even remember uh, when I found that he was going to do Snowfall. I'm like, well, is it going to be kind of like the same thing? Because he's kind of already told that story. But once you see it, you realize there's so much story that hasn't been told. And you're right. When we talk about like crack cocaine and stuff, everybody has watched things like Narcos and things like that. And we always think, oh, Miami, Florida, that's where it came in. But the part of the country that really got impacted so deeply is these large urban areas like LA, New York, Chicago. So I just think he does such a real amazing job of kind of giving you this lens. Like you're looking in on something that you're not supposed to see, but he's showing you the inner workings of how it came about and how it flourished and how it also decimated these black communities. So I can't even imagine, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in some of your interviews, but that's just, yeah, man, I just continue to be impressed by one, your work, and, and just if I can, before I give it back to you, Ben, your story, I actually didn't even know that was you, but I read your piece on Chadwick Bozeman. And really? I did. Chadwick Bozeman and, and I are pretty much the same age. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to my high school, played his high school. He's from Anderson, South Carolina. I'm from the Spartanburg area of South Carolina. Um, our teams played each other. He went to Howard. I went to Hampton. So that's, you know, that's our Clark Morehouse. That's our rival. Mm -hmm. And then when I came out to LA, we had the same barber. And I kid you not, we missed each other. I'm not even joking. The barber's like, yo, I've been trying to get y'all together all this time. You've missed each other so many times. Like you came in right after him. He came, he said, I don't even know how you missed him. He was just in the parking lot. And this is before he became Black Panther Chadwick Boseman. This is you know, he just did 42 chat with Bozeman. And I just mm-hmm. thought, man, like, I just had so many things kind of in common with him. And your piece was just so well done because I think it's really important that when people pass away that we pay homage to what they've done. But what I loved about your piece is that it really celebrated a life. It wasn't just mourning, you know? And I think that's so important because, you know, I think that's the reason why a lot of Black people don't even just say funerals. They say it's a homegoing celebration. Mm-hmm. And I think you did such a great job of celebrating his life. So on behalf of anybody who read that piece, man, I I will tell you, it moved me. um, And I really appreciated that. So I didn't even know, but that was a beautiful piece you wrote. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks, Marcus. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Homegoing. That's such a culture thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Homegoing. Life life celebration. So I I know we... um, well, let, let me let me throw this on. So Jonathan and I, I, f- I follow Jonathan on um, IG, and so he'll post occasionally, not all the time. He occasionally will post clips of articles that he he writes. So I get a chance to just jump out and read them. But one of the things that Jonathan does, and this is like a 
a plug for his work. One of the things that he does, the way he tells stories, this is Hollywood. A lot of things feel like gossip. But if he's talking about like, you know, Kevin Hart or like, you know, Shonda Rhimes, he says something that is pertinent to the construct of the value that they create. Like he won't just say, oh, check out Usher, this is that. He says it in a way that makes you go, hmm, there is something deep here. So that's a cheap plug, but you should follow him on IG. We'll give his handle here in a little bit um, at the end, but also read the stories and the way he puts them out. Because one of the things that he does, and I mentioned it before, but I don't think we can talk about it enough, Marcus and I, this is the premise on which we had the conversations on to doing this podcast is we need to highlight some of these things in a way that showcases the influence of black culture and popular culture. And in the, in, you know, in that same vein, talk about the people who are driving it, talk about the people who can be examples, right? Talk about the people that can be trailblazers and mentors for other kids to look at and say, Hey, you know what? This is a career path I can be. I don't need to play basketball. Like look at what that brother's doing. Look at what this person is doing and all of that. Right. So I know I'm kind of about to jump on my horse, but I don't ride horses, so I'll get back down and ask. <laughs> no, no, we didn't hurt you ride rhinoceros and giraffes and elephants and lions. We've already heard this before, but let's see what you're touché. going with. Touche. <laughs> Touche. Touche, Lee Callis. <laughs> and horses. But anyway, um, so I, I don't think I, I, I thought about this, but now that we're talking about you know, Chadwick, who's, um, you know, Marcus Black Panther. Should I go there? No, no, no. Everybody who's listening to this not podcast go knows <laughs> I keep that talking about there's it. one amazing movie in Ben's Rolodex. And there's one movie that is the Citizen Kane. It is the greatest movie ever made. And it is Black Panther. Every movie that he this watches. That's the best. That's Wakanda where is, is That's where it. I'm from, okay? The only difference uh-huh. Chadwick. Only difference with, you know, those... Chadwick Boseman and, you know, his friends in the movies that I was chasing lions and tigers and he was messing oh, around with science and tech, God. you know, science and tech. So ah. anyway, but <laughs> I, God, I warned you, Jonathan. you are in I the presence. You. <laughs> you are in the presence of African royalty. I have African. scars. <laughs> I have scars on my hand from catching lions. When, since when I was like two, you oh, know what wow. I mean? I mean, I used to go catch lions and tigers and snakes, and I charm all of these things, man. Since like maybe one and a half by two hours. Uh, okay, to so fly Jonathan, like a bird. I just I just want to cut in and say if I got some some oceanfront property sell you in Kansas, so if you want it, <laughs> it's it's there because that's that's about the same kind of crap that I'd be selling you that you're getting right now. But anyway, I will you digress. Guys, you guys are in entertainment. <laughs> if you don't sell crap, you ain't got it. You, you know, it's funny. I was like, Oceanfront in Kansas. You know, I'm originally from Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's Oceanfront in Kansas? It can't be. <laughs> so. <laughs> he's like, uh, he's like oh, I've never, I haven't seen the listing of that Oceanfront property. Right, I haven't then seen he's that like, one before. God really? damn it, you like, got what? me. <laughs> what ocean is that? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh guys let's let me i, I wanted something that you guys have been talking about that made me want to ask this question about black culture which is really around when we tell these stories of the culture and we've used this word urban a few times already right and it's oh like urban is like code word the, the, right the ur- right it's urban mm-hmm. is code but we tell these stories about 
the culture, black culture. When we tell these stories and it's about, you know, drugs and crime and police and all of these things. What what do you guys feel about that? Because I do feel some way in that media writ large owns a very heavy responsibility on how the image of blackness is shaped globally. And I think these stories, when you tell them, and, you know, it, it's a reality. And so if you, a lot of people are still talking about, you know, this was a reality in East LA. This is the reality of this. Like, yeah, sure, it was. But this is a reality of a lot of places. But it feels like when we do The Wire, right, and we do um, Snowfall, people take that and it's a reality that manifests beyond the changes and beyond the fact that this is a story and they don't make it a human condition, right? So how do you guys feel about these stories that are told in the, and this is for both of you, by the way, Jonathan, we'll start with you. How do you feel about these stories that are are told around black culture and around blackness, but they're painted with, you know, drugs and violence and gangs and police and, and all of these things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think I, I know with Snowfall, it it well, two two things. First, I, I like how it, it not only touched on just the whole crack epidemic, but it showed how it all started and how it all came about, which was through a CIA operative who who began an off-book operation to fund the Nicaraguan Contras. That's where that's where it all started. And for them, you know, bringing over weapons and then then drugs and then bringing it all into the black neighborhood. I like how the show touched on all of that. Um, What's interesting is um, I remember I remember speaking to Damson Idris about about the show and I asked him, first of all, I, first of all, the first time I ever spoke to Damson Idris, it's British did, too. By the way, I, we, I know. We've had I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know at the time that he was British. I did not know. And the first time I spoke to him, it was over the phone, and he called for the and called myself for for the interview, and he introduced himself, and it was in his British accent, and I said, "This is not Damson Idris, who's who's playing on my phone." <laughs> And he said, no, it's really him, but in a British accent. And I said, no, and, but it, it really was. So, but that, that's what, I, I, didn't, I didn't really know much about Damson Idris at that time, um, but he's a tremendously great actor. Um, but one thing, one thing that, that he told me um, was that he never, he never heard anything about, about, about the drug epidemic in the U.S. Did not know about it at all. He grew up in London. You know, he's Nigerian descent. He grew, grew up in London. He, but he didn't know about the crack epidemic until, until he visited L.A. for the first time and saw Skid Row. And it, as, you know, as you guys know, Skid Row is, is, you know, it's an impoverished area with, you know, inhabited by, you know, thousands of homeless people. And he called it heartbreaking, right? And so... You know, I wonder at that time if, you know, if Snowfall was going to glorify, um, you know, the whole drug game and so forth. But, you know, he, he him, he told me that, it, it, you know, of course, at the time when it first came out, that that the show wasn't going to glamorize 
um, you know, the whole drug game and everything. But he wanted to point out that, you know, that kids were actually born into into the epidemic. Right. And, you know, they, that they were surrounded by people that that are that are still in the drug game. All these kids were born into it. And, you know, a lot of people didn't survive. And a lot of homes and a lot of families were, were, were destroyed by this single entity, right? And so for me, I think, I, think, I think shows like this are very, very impactful if you can tell the complete story. Why, how, and why did all of these guns, how and why did all of all these different types of drugs, illegal drugs, find their way to Inglewood or South LA or New York City or yeah. somewhere in Kansas City, Missouri or Kansas City, Kansas or in Atlanta, Georgia or in, in all these different neighbor, these black neighborhoods. How did all of this happen? Quiet as kept. I agree with I, you. I, I, I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't. I mean, when I grew up, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm originally from Kansas, Kansas City, Kansas, but I saw a drug epidemic there and. I, the, the the people who I knew, they didn't travel to Nicaragua. They didn't travel to Costa Rica. <laughs> they didn't travel to, they didn't make all these different inter, international uh, um, travels and so forth. But somehow, some way, you know, these, you know, these guns and drugs, they just, you know, they just so happen to, to show up in, you know, these black neighborhoods. And so it's, 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 it's puzzling, you know, when all this goes on, but it's, it's so significant to see, you know, a show like this or any other show of, the, of, of this nature that they touch on this and how all this really happened. I, I don't have anything to add to that. I think Jonathan dropped a mic on that. I mean, <laughs> as long as as long as the show is fair and I, I don't think any community should brush over their history, just like I don't think people should pretend racism didn't exist is part of what this country is. I think for black people, drugs has been in our communities. But I second what Jonathan said. Who put them there? Who brought it there? You didn't see a whole bunch of black people fl flying to Colombia or Guatemala, Nicaragua and bringing those drugs here. And how did we get the guns? So somebody planted it there. Somebody wanted to make sure people got hooked on it and would do anything to get it. And of course, there's always going to be somebody that's an entrepreneur who's like, hey, well, let me let me run this game. Um, I think the show does a really great job of showing that. And I think that's really important that it does. So I, I, I couldn't say it better than you did. Um, I'm going to kind of shift this a little bit to a, a little bit of a, not quite controversial, but a hot topic. I'm going to kind of change it to something that I had been really dying to ask Jonathan since I knew he was going to bless us with his presence. Um, for the last couple of months, you know, we, the story about what happened with the, uh, Hollywood Foreign Press and the Golden Globes and their lack of diversity, uh, specifically uh, Black members, um, when it's time to give out these awards and the way they do things there. You know, as a, a fellow journalist and a person of color doing great work, like, what, are you, what is your thought on that? Why are they not doing a better job with diversity? Is, is finding diverse uh, writers hard to find or are they just purposely not looking? I'm just, I'm just curious of what your insight is on that. Yeah, I, you know, I think the, the whole story around the Golden Globes and the HFPA is so puzzling. Um, I've been to I've been to several HFPA events. Um, I've met, well, former president. I've met a, a couple of the presidents. They've been really 
I mean, they've been very, very welcoming to me and they've, we've had conversations, we've talked. Um, but, you know, aside from that, there have been so many different stories about the HFPA and, and, how, and how certain members within the organization have treated um, not only not only like other journalists, but other, you know, actors. I mean, you know, Scarlett Johansson, I know she, I know she spoke, she spoke about, about, about how she was treated. Um, she said that, said, she said that, you know, at HFPA press conferences that she said that, that certain members, um, would, 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 would do certain, they would, I guess, mean like, do like certain sexist questions and remarks and so forth that were that kind of border sexual harassment. This is from Scarlett Johansson and you know Mark Mark Ruffalo, he took aim and and you know Tom Cruise, you know, he gave back his golden glows. I think it was reported he was, you know, he gave back his golden glows. And so, you know, when when you when you have when you have a situation like that, I mean, even Sterling Brown, I mean, he he spoke up um, right before the awards because they've they've been in trouble for for some years. They they have been in 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 several different turmoils, and so you know their their track record has not really been great. And I mean, of course, now you know NBC they won't they won't air the show, um, the, the the upcoming show. Because they want to see changes. Netflix is taking aim at them. Um, Amazon is taking aim at them. And, you know, there, there needs to be some type of correction. There needs to be some type of transformation internally there to the point, to the point where people can trust them again. Because what has been reported about what they have done um, is just, it's just not acceptable at all. Yeah, I agree. Well, they should call you and have you come in there and be a part of it and start having some course correction. Oh, that's, yeah, you I, know. That's, that's my vote. You know, I got something to say. You know, I got something to say. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you got something to say. <laughs> <laughs> like Kevin Hart says, say it with your chest, man. Chest. <laughs> right. Right. So right. La- last question here. Um so who's your favorite interview and why? Hmm, that is a good question. I am trying to think. Oh boy, I'm really trying to think hard on this one. Uh Muhammad Ali. Oh, wow. oh you okay. Muhammad Ali okay. too. Muhammad Ali. I take back Muhammad my Ali. earlier God, comment. Damn. This is the mic drop <laughs> right here. Yeah, yeah, Muhammad Muhammad Ali. Yeah. yeah, this yeah. is the mic drop right here. This is yeah. where it is. <laughs> yeah, Muhammad Ali. Yeah. He he and it's funny, I have a picture of him uh frame, you know, hanging up on a wall at you know, in, in my home in the living room. And this was this was oh a really God. I can't believe this. I can't even <laughs> let you talk. Right. <laughs> yeah, Muhammad. I there. There's a couple others, but Muhammad was Muhammad Ali. He was his was pretty epic. Um, I had to cover some years ago in in Atlanta. Um, some years ago, he there was this uh this black tie event. Um. For it was before the opening of his museum, 
that was supposed to open in in Louisiana, not Louisiana. I'm sorry, in Louisville, Louisville. Kentucky. Yeah, in Louisville, Kentucky, and um, and so I was there to interview him and so forth. So, um, you know, I was in the room with you know with him. His daughter was there, and uh, Layla, and uh, her husband uh, was it Cur- Curtis Curtis Conway. Curtis Conway. Curtis Conway. I believe at the time. I think I think they're still married. Um, but. It was it was a jam packed room, but what um, but what happened was um, Lennox Lewis he walked into the room, so super random. Wow. Lennox Lewis walks into the room, and you know um, you know you know Muhammad Ali. Of course, he was you know battling, battling Parkinson, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so you know his speech wasn't as full as it as it once was, but he could still speak. And so when Lennox Lewis walked in, and Lennox Lewis was a champ at the time, Muhammad Ali saw Lennox Lewis. I was standing right next to Muhammad. uh, Muhammad saw Lennox Lewis and pointed at Lennox Lewis and said, I want you. I want you. (laughs) And then Lennox Lewis, he broke out with a big smile. And, and, you know, they came and they, you know, they embraced each other. But but, but But what Muhammad did for me, was um he we took a picture of him choking me <laughs> and me acting you know, like that's a famous picture that's what he did to Howard Cosell back in the day if I'm not mistaken exactly it's the same exact same exact yeah same exact uh, photo yep so he did that he did that with me and then we took a picture and then I had a a few words with him and we talked about you know his you know his museum and and so forth but that 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 was um, that. That was a moment uh, for me that I'll I would never forget. That um, um, another probably with Oprah. Um, the first time I interviewed Oprah, uh, I was so nervous because I didn't want to say the wrong thing. Um, but queen of interviewing people, now you're interviewing her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you better yeah, come man. correct. Yeah, That's come a big correct. Responsibility. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't want. I didn't want to. I didn't want to mess up the interview. And I and I remember um, at the time, um, her rep, who's actually she's a you know a really good person. Um, but her her rep told me at the time. She said, you know, you're only going to have like seven minutes with Oprah. And I said, oh, okay, cool. It's not, that's not really a long time at all. And so right. typically, so I sit down face to face with Oprah. And before the interview starts, we're just having small talk and we're talking about um, hangers <laughs> of all anything, <laughs> like the type of hangers that, that we use or the best, the, the, the best hangers to use to hang up your jeans and your shirts. And, you know, she was giving me recommendations on what type of wooden ones to use. Um, and so it was just small talk. And, and when we started the interview, you know, it got to the point where she slapped my knee. I, it was it was a good slap on the knee. <laughs> um, and and then we there, there, there were a couple moments when, when our rep tried to step in to to kind of, you know, give us, you know, it's where, you know, we're, you know, kind of finishing up in and, and Oprah. And, and, and Oprah turned to the rep twice and was like, no, we're talking. We're, 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 gonna, we're doing this interview. So the interview lasted for about a little more than 20 minutes. So it went double the time. And 
And I was thinking to myself, like, okay, I don't want to be like a fanboy and ask for a photo because that's not what you're really supposed to do professionally as a journalist. <laughs> um, but but, but Oprah, damn. yeah, but Oprah was so smooth about it. She, I mean, she knows, you know, she knows that she has appeal, you know, she, she knows. And so I didn't have to ask. She said, want to pick, want a photo? So she, you know, came around. She said, Where, where's your phone? Where's your cell phone? And I, and I pulled out my cell phone and said, okay, well, let, let, you know, the rep take it, the publicist, right? And Oprah came behind me, leaned on my shoulder and said, cool, let's take, take a few photos. We took like 10 of them. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, this is this is like an outer body experience or something, man. So, you know, those 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 two experiences, they, you know, they they really stand out to me. Um, there there are several others um with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, you know, he, you know, I I did a I did a uh, I did an exclusive story on him and his charitable efforts. And he called me back the next day on my work phone to tell me, thank you. And I was like, whoa, okay. I wish, I wish I would have known that <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> was going to call me back. I would have recorded this. <laughs> Can you hear Marcus's laugh sounds different? The dude's drooling over there. I have no idea. Like Ben has said that three times a day. I'm like, when did I say something to you about Leonardo DiCaprio? You didn't say that like three times. I'm like, did I say something? I, I wasn't even thinking about Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm thinking about all of them. Oh, yeah. Well, I will say, honestly, like, in my personal opinion, getting Oprah and Muhammad Ali, that's like straight up like the Mount Rushmore of like influential, you know, black people in entertainment. I mean, honestly, that's like you got two of probably the the top four, top ten ever. Uh Two I mean, that's just top, amazing. Top five, and then the other two are right here. Oh, ben <laughs> Tubo. Next oh. time you talk to Oprah or Rihanna, say, hey, I interviewed oh, Ben Tubo, Lord. and they're going to be like, yeah, yeah, Ben, man, Ben, yeah. that African warrior, man. The African oh, warrior. Dude, <laughs> please, please come and get him. Please come and get him. Oh, yeah. man. Well, let me say this, because I'm going to – this is one of those, those uh, interviews that we get to do and one of these shows that we get to have that you do not want it to end. But, you know, we want to respect your time and respect your presence. And I'm just going to go ahead and say, because we're going to close out here, I want to say that you are welcome anytime you want to come on, anytime there's something you want to talk about. Um, we cannot stress enough to look for his articles and his amazing work um, to get in these doors and, and to represent not just Black people, but people of color with such... Um, reverence and just the way you conduct your business and the way you write your articles, you can just feel the passion in what you do. And we just really appreciate you coming here and just allowing us to kind of pick your brain and share with our audience um, some of your great work. Um, I just, I can't tell you this has been, I needed this. This has been, I know it's, this is like a, a, a third straight Monday for me. So it's been a long, a long couple of days and you just made me feel like it's Saturday night. So I appreciate it. Um, just really enjoy your work. Uh, ben, I'm going to let you lead us out. No, I mean, just echoing what you said, Marcus. Jonathan, man, appreciate you. Amazing work, man. Just keep trailblazing. The stories are amazing. Um, this is really why we do this. We we laugh about it. We, you know, we joke about it. But, you know, it touches people in different ways, right? And on top of the cultural side that we focus on and film and TV, you know, one of the things that, in a career path like 
what Jonathan is doing that, you know, doesn't have a lot of um, black people in the position with the visibility that he has. You know, you always hope that, you know, he can inspire somebody who is thinking about it, but doesn't see enough of themselves. Right. So that to me is the big thing in what you do. But outside of that, um, like Marcus said, man, anytime you want to come back, um, absolutely. We would love to have you. Would love to have this chat. We'll go along, do two episodes, talk about another show that you, you know, when you interview me for my next groundbreaking Black Panther two, you can come back and talk to me again on this podcast. <laughs> oh my goodness. But on that note, on that note, Jonathan, we do a score. So we do a score at the end of every um, episode of the podcast. We 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 score a movie on um five so one being eh, they shouldn't have made it five being extremely good i always get marcus to go first yeah because i'm so respectful can... and i'm his uncle no he likes me to go first <laughs> so he can criticize and critique my score that's no. what that is that's all right nah, man, I, got, I, I have my scores before i come in i just talk yeah. too much so i usually want to take a break <laughs> no i i give snowfall like i I think if you want something that's just that creates a visceral reaction that's just shrouded in reality, the writing is exceptional. Um, and, and plus, just seeing LA, it's it's a cool thing. I don't know if other people feel this way, but getting to see LA in the '80s, uh, it's just a cool thing to get to see. And the wardrobe people do a phenomenal job of taking you back to that time. Um, the acting is superb. Um, I'm going to just make this quick because I want to give you know you guys a chance to, to you know give your scores, but I'm going to give this one a a four and a half. Four four point five is my score on this one. I really like uh, what Snowfall is doing. It doesn't, as um, you all said earlier, it doesn't glamorize it at all. It shows the the pitfalls and the pratfalls that come with being in this world. Uh, yeah, there's ups. And there's always going to be some downs anytime you're working in an industry that's like drugs. It's not going to be all highs. There's going to be peaks and valleys. And I think they do such a great job of showing that there's a price to pay even when you have a peak. And uh, so I really like that. Um, I love that if if John Singleton had to leave us with one uh, piece of work, um, I think he did a great job in leaving us this one because this is a really great representation of his vision and uh, his upbringing. So, yeah, 4.5 is my score. All right, so I'll go and then we'll get Jonathan and then we'll close out. I'll give it a four. Um, this is this is a gem. I didn't, you know, before Jonathan said Snowfall, I really hadn't heard of it before, right? And then when I started watching it, I was like, man, I can't stop watching this show, right? So it's just, it's a very good crime drama. You think of like Boys in the Hood with a lot more plot twist and it's developed slowly. Sometimes it runs a little slow, but don't take your eyes off because they don't waste the space. The show, it does a great job of building conflict. The character development is dope. The arcs, level of, levels of unpredictability, just high. So I give it a very solid four. Jonathan, your turn. I'm going to give it a five. Uh, I, think, I, think, I think Snowfall... Drum roll. Yeah, when, when Snowfall is on... Is on um, it's, it's the hottest show on TV. I, I, I that's what I that's that's my phrase for Snowfall. It's the hottest show on TV. Um, I'm looking forward to the new season. Um, it I'm not sure if you guys know, but it's already been up for debate. You know, people have already asked the question: Is Snowfall 
as good or better than The Wire. That is high praise. That is super high praise. It's better for me. It's better for me. The Wire just, it just never, man, that runway was so long. By the time he started taking off, I'd seen other things that splitting my attention. It's better for me. Yeah. And I like Snowfall too, man. I think, I think, you know, I, I kind of, I'm kind of, if I had to lean one way since I'm in the middle of you two, I think I would lean a little bit more towards Jonathan on this one, but I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why I think Ben's score could change. Like, you know, I know this was like your first introduction to it, but in my personal opinion, season two Mm. ramps up and the speed of season two is fire. Like it's, it's just like season two, like you needed that slow burn to really Mm -hmm. understand the nuances for season one. But when season two comes, it plays zero games and it brings yep. all the smoke. <laughs> so it, it, it gets better by the season. It gets better. Yeah. It just keeps going up. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Cool. Um, so closing out, um, I think Marcus talked about it last episode that we're going to have some fire and big surprises cooking. This is one of three. Number one, Mr. Jonathan Landrum. But Next episode, we're covering High on the Hog. So if you think culture, you always think food. High on the Hog from Netflix. Food, black culture globally, Benin, U.S., the South, upcoming chefs. That one's going to be dope. And we have a guest that not going to, we're going to, just like Jonathan, when he comes up, we're going to tell you who he is. Um it's going to be an amazing show. So plan not to miss that one or you should wait, download, subscribe, whatever you got to do to make sure that the minute it drops, you got it. Um, high on the hugs, what we're doing next. And we have an amazing guest lined up for that. If you want to follow Jonathan on IG, he's at Mr. Landrum 31. So M-R-L-A-N-D-R-U-M 31 um, on IG. Jonathan, are you using the same handle on Twitter if you're on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's the same handle, uh, MR Landrum 31. Yep. Okay. So that's across social media. The dude, you know, great articles. He posts some great pictures. He takes the kind of vacations that his friends that he interviews take. So if you want to <laughs> see some colorful pictures, <laughs> you should check it out. <laughs> but, this fool always got jokes. He always got jokes. <laughs> I got to put it in, man. I got to put it in. <laughs> I could just sit there and hate on his ass or I could just like it and be like, yo, you guys better go check it out too, right? Beautiful family, beautiful daughter. Great guy. So follow him at Mr. Landrum. Support his work. Um, like I said, his work reaches billions of people. Um, Culture Scores, a Speak Studio original. Um, you can listen to us where you're listening to us now. Um, Spotify, Pandora, Apple, Google, you name it. It's a Speak Studio original. Like I said, we love your reviews. We love your feedback. If you want to reach out to us with comments, um, we love it. Good, bad, terrible, whatever. We just want to be connected to you. A handle on social media, speak.studio, um, speak, D-O-T, studio. Uh, my handle is T-U-B-U-O-B-E, Tubo B. And Marcus's handle? Uh, it is at the Marcus T. Moore. So Marcus with a C, T as in terrific, Moore. That's my handle on everything. You can find me there. And um, like Ben said, we welcome your comments, good, bad, or indifferent. We just want to have your ears and give you something compelling to think about. The 
Marcus Terrific Moore. Ha. That's the one and only thanks again people (laughs) until next time you know keep listening to us speak studio platform um culture score the podcast um we love what we do Uh, we hope you enjoy it and we hope you feel the passion until next time peace out jonathan thanks for coming brother thanks for having me appreciate it fellas thank you all right peace peace